0: Thank you very much for coming here tonight. Um, my name is Aya Kimura from University of Hawaii. It's my great pleasure to give talk tonight at DIJ um, particularly because there has been a strong connection between University of Hawaii and DIJ. Thank you Phoebe for arranging the talk and thank you very much Dr. Krumas for kind introduction. So um, today's talk focuses on what I call uh citizen radiation measuring organization or what is often described in Japanese as Shimin hosha no that emerged in response to March 11th. <clears throat> this is a part of a larger project on food justice after March 11th in Japan, which I'm writing as a monograph, and I would love to get your feedback to refine my arguments. So I want to leave some time for Q&A after the talk. Okay. As you already know, the March 11th resulted in an unprecedented level of radioactive substance release in the Japanese history. And that has had significant implications for the Japanese food system. Within a week of March 11th, reports of contaminated food started to appear. And so far, a number of cases of contamination, and this is talking about government st- above government standard, have been detected. For example, this table here, shows the number of samples found to be over the government standards of 100 becquerel per kilo uh, only in the, in the 2013 fiscal year. Although the government was supposed to have enacted a screening system, many citizens wondered if that was rigorous enough to, enough to detect and stop the circulation of contaminated food. It was clear that there were many loopholes. You might remember the famous case of sesium beef, or sesium beef, where beef with a high level of sesium was found to have been sold at many stores across the country, and in some cases, fed it as a part of the school lunch. Similarly, dried shiitake mushrooms sold in supermarkets were found to have been contaminated above the standard at more than 1,000 becquerel per kilo, and this was only detected by the voluntary testing by the supermarkets, not by the government screening system. So these instances seem to confirm citizens' doubt that they were not given full information about the extent of contamination by the government. There was also lingering suspicion that the government standards might not be strict enough. So in response, many citizen groups organized Citizen Radiation Measuring Organizations, or CRMOs for short. For example, this is a newspaper article reporting on the establishment of a new CRMO. And here it says on the right-hand side, um, measuring radiation by yourself, peace of mind, or anshin. CRMOs like this take food samples brought in by regular citizens and measure the concentration of reductive materials in it and provide the data to the citizens. For example, um, Let's say if your uncle sent a box of apples from Fukushima and you want to make sure that it's not contaminated, then you can bring that apple to a CRMO and get it tested and see how much of the cesium uh, is in it. Has anyone used CRMO in the audience? Okay. just <laughs> So... Um, In this presentation, I would like to explore these CRMOs in relation to the theories of STS or science technology studies. So here's the outline of the talk. So I want to start with a brief discussion of science and technology theories, particularly the concept of citizen science and debates over its political contributions. And then move on to the empirical part, discussing research methods briefly and preliminary findings from the interviews with the CRMOs that I'm right now doing. The key questions that I'm interested in are, to what extent do the Syrian MOs contribute to a larger social change? And what are the constraints for their social activism? So citizen science refers to how lay people are involved in creating knowledge that is scientifically relevant. The term is usually credited to uh, British social scientist, Alan Irwin. In his 1995 book, Citizen Science, he described how environmental contamination was forcing lay people to learn about scientific issues and how, in turn, they came to contribute to science itself. Citizen science also refers to the involvement of volunteers in data collection. For example, amateur uh, birdwatchers collaborating with biologists or amateurs providing data uh, to uh, uh, astronomers in the form of online crowdsourcing, which is increasingly popular. Citizen science is increasingly important also in food system governance. In particular, the perceived lack of knowledge of perhaps manufactured ignorance about controversial technologies have driven citizens to collect their own data. From impacts of pesticides to genetically modified organisms, GMOs, citizen groups and lay people are doing their own research to fulfill the gaps in knowledge in relation to food safety. Scholars um, have identified various benefits of citizen science. First, citizen science often fulfills gaps in scientific knowledge and data. Indeed, some have argued that citizen science complements and enhances scientific models and assessments. Citizen science might also bring in new data and perspectives because citizens often possess local knowledge that experts might not have access to. Science doing by lay people is also seen as a way to enhance science literacy of the public, improving their understanding of science. Citizen science might also expose values and hidden assumptions naturalized and taken for granted in official science. By doing so, citizen science can also uh, open new lines of inquiry and set new agendas that might not have emerged if left to experts. Some scholars also see the inherent virtue in citizen science that it embodies participatory and democratic orientations critical in democratic society. However, while we can celebrate citizen science as the instance of democratization of science, it is nonetheless important To analyze it in relation to a larger political context, particularly that of neoliberalization. In the US, for instance, scholars have noticed the increase in citizen environmental monitoring in tandem with neoliberalization. Because of the government budget cuts, particularly in what is often seen as unproductive areas such as environmental protection, environmental monitoring is increasingly relegated to or outsourced to nonprofit community groups. Therefore, what a political geographer, Rebecca Lev calls extramural science is an increasingly common feature of governance in the age of neoliberalism. Neoliberalization is also linked to what Barchel following uh, Foucault's governmentality work called responsibilization. It produces a certain kind of self that is interested in and is held responsible for the care of oneself. This discourse produces a particular kind of subjectivity that emphasizes self-regulation and self-care. Then, citizen science can be seen as a part of s- responsabilization, putting pressures on citizens to take responsibility for their own well-being and hence driving them to collect data that is necessary for their health and safety. The SDS, science and technology studies discussion of citizen science, often tended to assume that they were linked to a social movement. However, situating citizen science in the context of neoliberalization, then the link with the social movement should be explored rather than taken for granted. This emergent theorization of citizen science Suggests that it is necessary not to assume politicization and emancipatory orientation of citizen science. In other words, we should ask to what extent does citizen science go beyond individualist act of self care and is linked to a larger social mobilization? A political scientist, Richard Samuels, also hinted at the need to attend to the larger political context in the analysis of citizen science after March 11th. In his book, Disaster and Change, published last year, he observed a conspicuous lack of mobilization and, and activism in post-March 11 Japan. For instance, let's look at this quote here. Quote, Instead of demonstrations, social mobilization was personified in the volunteers who made their way in record numbers to Tohoku, and uh, in citizen scientists who collected data on radioactivity in their neighborhoods. Japanese citizens seemed more concerned than outraged during the first year after the disaster, His book was not directly addressing the issue of CRMO, or citizen radiation measuring organizations, but nonetheless, his point here is, I think, very highly relevant. How subdued citizen activism has been, despite the gravity of the accident and the government's implication in it. This observation from the longtime scholar of Japan suggests the possibility of CRMO's perverse power to pull back more covert forms of political activism. Could it be that the CRMOs are a reflection of, and in turn, further creating concern rather than outraged citizens? People might be testing their food simply to confirm that what they are eating is safe. It might not necessarily link to anti-nuclear movement or any movements to demand full accountability of the government and or the TEPCO. Indeed, the Japanese civil society seemed to have lost its steam relatively quickly after the accident, and much of the old pro-nuclear structure is back in place and the accountability for the accident not addressed to the full extent. We can just take two recent examples for that. First is the government draft for the new basic energy plan announced just in January this year, which leaves open the possibility of building new plants as well as restarting existing ones. And the second is the government race in Tokyo, which resulted in the return of a pro-nuclear governing party candidate to the office, which led to the New York Times to say this, quote, the country's organized opposition to nuclear power has failed to materialize, unquote. So it is important to analyze CRMOs in this larger political context of contemporary Japan. So then uh, we'll move on to the methods of my study. So with this critical theory and sort of look at the citizen science as a guiding framework, I'm collecting data on CRMOs. Just a brief note about my method for this particular segment of the book. Um, myself and my research assistant are conducting interviews either face-to-face or by the phone. The interview is semi-structured, usually ranging from one to two hours. Uh, we have about 20 questions, including questions about the measurement, for example, the type of detector used, um, how many samples they have tested so far, uh, the training that they got, etc. Questions about organization of the, the CRMO, uh, for example, the number of staff, the gender, age, background, uh, clients, the profile of the clients, uh, finances, etc. We also ask about their political activism and background of kiki people involved in relation to their prior and current social <laughs> movement experiences. We are still in the middle of data collection. Actually, I just finished uh, last three uh, this week, and we have interviewed 39 CRMOs so far. We are aiming to talk to the most of the CRMOs that we have identified. So the talk today is based on preliminary findings. we, We are still in the middle of the data collection. Um, that said, I'm pretty confident that we have covered a good range of CRMOs already. So uh, we have interviewed uh, CRMOs from Hokkaido to Okinawa, so geographically pretty spread uh, from old ones to new ones in terms of established uh, year on the dates and with various organizational profile in terms of people who are involved. And then I'm going to come back to that uh, in a minute. Um, so before we move on to the data, um, it's it's very important to, to underscore how I am defining CRMOs. Okay. So um, I'm defining CRMO to refer to those non-governmental, non-corporate organizations that are offering the service of testing food to citizens in relation to contamination by radioactive materials. Okay. And um, there are important exclusions here. Excluded are the ones operated by the government. The government did in fact establish similar programs. The national government, for example, started a rental program of detectors. Uh, so they rent out the detectors to municipal governments and prefectural governments in the fall of 2011. And currently, I believe more than 2,000, I'm sorry, 270 detectors are used by municipal governments. So for example, here in Chioda ward, I think you can go to some Hokkenjo, I think. And if you're a resident ward, you can get your food tested for free, I think. It's on the web, so you can check. And uh, if you're interested in, I think you can go there and get it tested. Um, March 11th saw so an emergence of a private industry of measuring radiation, and although I do discuss this in the book, uh, I'm excluding them as a part of the CRMOs. Okay. CRMOs, as I define here, do not also include those measuring programs that are not open to citizen, regular citizens, such as measuring programs by agricultural cooperatives and consumer cooperatives. They, they, many of them are uh, decided to uh, purchase the detector and started to measure, but I'm not including them if they are not open to regular citizens. Their function is a little bit different. Uh, What they measure is their products before they sell, not the ones that regular citizens bring in. Um, This presentation also focuses on food contamination. So I'm not discussing uh, initiatives that measure doses of the air. And there are famous examples of those five volunteers who measured our dosage and uploaded on the web, such as Safecast, and I'm sure many of you might know. But they are outside of the scope of my study, which is looking at the issue of food contamination. So with this definition, I have identified 85 CRMOs uh, that are currently active in Japan. And this is the map. That is showing. I'm sorry, it's a little bit small because I wanted to capture from Hokkaido to Okinawa. Um, um, so they you know, you can see how geographically spread they are, they are. And um, so, in, as a way of sort of ex- sorry, to explain who they are and what they do, um, I think I'm going to focus on the four aspects of a CRMOS. Um, so the data from the interviews that I've been conducting. With the CRMOs, so the, uh, in terms of measurement, most CRMOs use a type of detector called scintillation detector. Here's an example of the detector and how it's used. Mm-hmm. So in this, see in this photo, um, she putting the sample uh, of food, and it, because you have to pack it quite tightly, you might have to chop the you know food first. So you have to kind of squeeze it in to get the good. Um, precision, right, and then you put the container into this, this small one is a scintillator, and what you have to do is to just let the detector uh, run for a certain length of time, and scintillators uh, comes with a software that produces the result like this, estimate of the concentration of cesium and spectrum on the bottom. So, interviews indicated that a vast majority of the CRMOs are run by lay people without formal training in radiation detection and measurement. But people at CRMOs learned how to operate the detector by going to workshops offered by non-profit organizations or from books, websites, and by consulting with manufacturers, which seemed to be a big help, and other CRMOs. There are also some university-affiliated researchers who have given and who are giving advice to CRMLs as well. In terms of uh, contribution to the measurement, uh, measuring of food, we asked how many tests or samples they uh, they have tested by the end of 2013 and how many contamination they were able to detect. Again, the data is incomplete because we are just covering half of uh, what they exist. But even with the ones that we have so far interviewed and obtained data, they have measured an impressive number of food samples. For example, the total number of food and beverage samples tested by 31 CRMOs was more than 35,000, and this excluding other stuff that have, they have measured, for example, soil, in some cases, dusts from a vacuum cleaner and other stuff. So excluding those, I'm just looking at the, the food and beverage samples, more than 35, and that's based on just 31 CRMOs. And interviews indicated that some of these tests resulted in the discovery of holes in the government safety system. There are many cases, and we are still compiling the number, that were found to be contaminated above the government standards. Uh, when it was, a, uh, what is it, provisionally uh, standard, it was 500 per beclo per kilo. Right now it's 100 beclo per kilo for the regular food stuff. So CRMOs have been able to expose those food that technically should not be in the food system, but actually were. The CRMOs also provide data on lower level contamination. CRMOs try to lower what is called minimum detectable concentration, or MDC. MDC refers to how little of cesium the test can find. So by trying to have smaller MDC, CRMOs try to see whether the food might be contaminated at lower than the government standard of 100. As I mentioned earlier, the municipal offices are now offering similar service of radiation measuring, but their MDC or minimum detectable concentration tend to be higher than those by uh, CRMOs, the citizen ones. For example, I went to Fukushima City and tried to compare what you know what the difference might be for the citizens versus the government. The government ones uh, MDC was at 20. Whereas there are several CRMOs in the same city that had about MDC of one to 10. So you can see the difference, right? And um, so let's say if you wanna test your soybean and it's actually at 15 becquerel per kilo, you bring it to the government one, it would come back ND, non-detectable. But you might bring it into the CRMO and then actually it has 15. Now from the perspective of the government, it shouldn't matter. Right. as long as it's below 100 per kilo, per kilo the government standard, it should, it's not it's not posing threat to your health, but if you are concerned mother about your children's health, or if you're worried that you might have been exposed um, extra, externally, then you might wanna minimize internal radiation, then that kind of information provided by CRMO might be very helpful. I should also add that the contribution of CRMO is not limited to measuring food, providing data and ensuring food safety. Their function as a space for citizens to gather should not be overlooked. Some CRMOs that I have visited prepared spaces for clients to linger and chat if they would like. So it could be like a couch, a children's corner, or a meeting room like this. So these are the the pictures of actual radiation measuring uh, organizations. Because, of the government, um, because governments' pro-nuclear messages underplayed the extent of food contamination, many people felt, and perhaps are still feeling, they cannot express concern about food contamination. These CRMOs quite consciously designed themselves to be a safe space for citizens to talk about these issues. CRMOs can also be considered a place for educating citizens about radiation contamination of food. I have not done extensive survey with the government measuring stations in the way, in the same way as I'm doing with the citizen ones. But the one that I visited in Fukushima was telling of their focus in terms of just simply measuring food and just getting the result back to the citizens. When I went, I saw people come, drop off their food, just left, you know, and come back in 30 minutes, got the result, the printout, and left. There was no sort of interaction or interaction among citizens in contrast many crmos saw their role as thinking about the issue together not sort of top down but together with the clients they seemed to take much longer in explaining the results most of them attached the spectrum the graph which by the way the fukushima the city one didn't Uh, because they said that it would confuse citizens and some of them were willing to discuss health implication but not that all of them said that we wouldn't tell you know you should eat or you should not eat it's up to the client but nonetheless they're willing to sort of discuss and another important thing I think uh, they were doing was to sort of share the trend right so you know you might sort of be hanging out with the clients and uh, oh by the way you know the shiitake tends to have some you know Contamination, so you might want to check before you eat or something like that. So they are sharing the trend data with the, with the citizens. So CRMOs, at least some of them, try to go beyond a simple measurement activity and to generate discussion about the food contamination issue and to learn together about radiation detection and measurement. So let's move on to the discussion of operational structure of the CRMOs. Most of the CRMOs were established by citizen donation, and very few got help from the government. In fact, we we have only found one, and that was established after Chernobyl, so that was not after March 11th, and um, this one is in Kogane City. In many cases, citizens solicited money to establish uh, CRMOs from small donors. Some others received help from foundations and private groups, such as the Takagi Fund, a nonprofit anti-nuke group, Days Japan, a publisher of a magazine, and the Catalog House, uh, an, an alternative retailer, just to name a few. To cover the cost, many CRMOs take membership structure. For instance, one in the west of Japan has over 200 people as members paying 4,000 yen as annual fee. The members get a discount in measurement fee, so in that, you know, the annual fee would then be the foundation, so the financial uh, basis for the organization. Many CRMOs also ask for a fee to clients per testing, ranging from 500 yen to 7,000 yen per sample. But financing a CRMO can be uh, quite actually difficult. A detector might have been paid off, but there is an operational cost of rent, utilities and supplies. In addition, many CRMOs talked about how the people's interest declined and less and less people are coming to CRMO, particularly this year. It's been reported that after Chernobyl, similar organizations spread across the nation, but only a few survived. I think on March 11th, i found only three that existed prior to March 11th. So how long will the CRMOs, right now we have 85, last in the future? It needs to be watched closely in the years to come. Um, Let's see, another issue we are looking at is who are running CRMOs? Uh, Media portrayal often emphasized mothers as a driving force behind food measurement movements. And I'll come back to this point about the visibility of mothers in a minute. But the interviews suggest a diverse array of people involved in CRMOs, and there are at least seven patterns that I have identified. The first group was obviously established by parents, particularly mothers, but occasionally fathers. These parents tend to have little prior social movement experiences, but came to raise concerns about food safety and established CRMOs. The second pattern centers around people who had been involved in some social activism before March 11th. Some of them had been involved in, obviously, anti-nuke issues, but many were involved in others, from consumer movements to disability issues. There are so many of them. They knew how to pull resources and organize from their activist experiences from the past. These core people attracted newer generation volunteers, typically younger generation of mothers. So that's the second pattern. Another group of CRMOs grew out of support groups for evacuees from the affected areas. Again, evacuees tended to be mothers, as many evacuees are mothers and children. There was a significant concern among evacuees that while you might, have, you might have fled the contaminated air, contaminated food might be following you wherever you go. So several stations in the west and south of Japan were established in a way to respond to their concerns. These CRMOs tend to have evacuees as the clients who bring in food to test, and some of them have evacuees as the staff members, as the volunteers. The fourth group of CRMOs um, are established by individuals who had some resources to buy the detector, initially motivated to test food for their own family's consumption, but decided to offer services to others. These CRMOs tend to be operated by single individuals, oftentimes male, without any other volunteers. So it's kind of single operation. These men tended to be self-employed and some personal, had some personal resources to buy a detector. There are several measuring stations that were established by religious organizations such as Christian churches and Buddhist temple. The sixth group is people involved in food sort of uh, services uh, or food production. Organic farmers or natural food store owners might, have, might get together and bought detectors and not only testing their food or their produce, uh, they open up the detector to regular citizens if there are people who wanted to test their food. <coughs> The last group of CRMOs might be characterized as quote-unquote tech geeks. Uh, They tend to have some technical background and seem to enjoy the technical aspects of uh, CRMOs. They like measuring it. They would tweak different things to see if they could improve the precision, and they test different things. Uh, They would test different things like um, ashes and um, dust and clothes, stuff like that. So um, it's not only a group of mothers that established CRMOs, actually, it's, it has attracted a diverse array of people. Although they are diverse, when we asked about their motivation, why they wanted to establish CRMOs, um, these were three common answers. First, uh, people wanted to understand uh, what really was going on. They Sort of going back to the lie, right, so they kind of sensed that the government was lying and they wanted to find out what was really going on, what the truth was. They heard that the government saying that food was safe and the contamination was minimum, but they felt that the data provided by the government was insufficient and not trustworthy. They suspected that the government might be selectively testing to underplay the extent of contamination and the more tests ought to be done. Second, many people talk about the need to protect the health of the children, grandchildren, and public large. In order to know what to eat, what to avoid to eat, the reason measuring was essential. Thirdly, some CRMOs uh, emphasize the role of CRMOs as a watchdog for the government. Although the government systematized the radiation tests and institutionalized relatively strict standards, I'm talking about 100 becquerel per kilo, CRMOs would make sure that the government system is functioning as it is supposed to. Okay. And the final aspect of CRMOs, um, in terms of their political orientation. Our interviews suggest few have official links to established political organizations such as political parties and labor unions. There is also little formal organizing efforts among sort of trying to connect horizontally among the CRMOs. among the CRMOs. One exception is a network called CRMS, Citizen Radiation Measuring Stations, with seven CRMs um, in, in that network. Another exception uh, is a website called Minna no Data Site or Everyone's Data Site. But the data site's intention is to consolidate test results from various CRMOs and make it more accessible to the public. So its intention is not really political or movement oriented. And there are, I think, uh, some regional networks of CRMOs, but their work, again, uh, tends to focus on technical aspects of measuring. They discuss how to improve the precision of the measurement, and also they want to cross-check the results. You know, They might have the same sample, try to get it tested in different organization to see that they are, what they are actually getting is the actual number. Okay. In the interviews too, we, had, um, we have several questions about whether they'd be willing to or were involved in political issues. Many interviewees said that they'd be hesitant. Although individual members might be involved in politics, as CRMOs, many of the interviewees did not want to get involved in political issues. And it was surprising that even those CRMOs that were run by people with the movement experience, if you remember that profile, you know, there was a group that had prior social movement experience, they, even they uh, tended to say that they shunned politics as CRMOs. <coughs> Despite those answers, though, it seemed to me that most of them are actually involved in political social issues. Although there are some that are concentrating on measuring, like you know, those sort of tech geek type, for the vast majority to describe them as apolitical would be a stretch. For example, many CRMOs showed films with anti-nuclear messages. They would hold workshops um, on how to detox and how to decrease radioactive materials by cooking. Staff members are going to rallies and talking with talking to government organizations or collaborating with organizations doing those things. So the official position of neutrality and non-politics seems to stem from the concern that if seen as political, their data would be considered biased. I also noticed general feeling of exhaustion with the politics as usual, or politic with the big P, right, the capital P. As one of my my interviewees put it, they're looking for social actions that are yūri, or relaxed, and murinai, non-stressful. And the image of politics with the big P seems to be that they are the opposite of those, that they're exhausting and structural and hierarchical. So there is a general stigma of politics as biased, too rigid and exhausting among interviewees. Let me illustrate this with an example of a CRMO in the Kanto area. It was established by several women who were concerned with the radiation impacts on children as, as mothers and uh, a little bit older and, and grandmothers. The CRMO was located in a small house that used to be a restaurant. I think it was actually yakiniku san It was quite spacious, equipped with a room for children to play and another larger room where people can sit and chat besides the space allotted for a detector. In the entrance, tea, beans, and rice that were tested safe were sold. And the women said they wanted the space not only to be the lab to measure, uh, but also to be a gathering place for mothers where they could talk about radiation freely. The crmo's organ at this crmo organized workshops and lectures on anti-nuclear themes however in the interview the women talked about the difficulty of navigating the, the stigma of doing politics they said if getting involved in political things quote will be seen as a person who is on that side like we will be seen as one of the core staff members said of the difficulty of positioning as follows quote we did not want to be an activist or katsudoka We need to look for a new way of social movement. We don't want to be called a professional activist. Undo puro. We are regular mothers," I want to come back to her emphasis on maternal identity in a minute, but here I just want to point out that she underscored the stigma of katsudoka or activist, which is seen as the other, the opposite of regular people or regular mothers. And this kind of sentiment was shared widely among my interviewees. As CRMOs, many of them said that they didn't want to be seen as politicized because the date might be seen as distorted or they might be labeled as radical activists. Okay, so far, so I have summarized findings from my interviews with the CRMOs and tried to give you a sense of who they are, how they are structured, and what their motivation might be. I also talk about their political activism or the lack thereof. So let's move on to the analysis. So I I think CRMOs pose interesting questions about the politics and citizen science. As we saw, we might say that the original motivation of CRMOs um, was rather rather political, the noticing of knowledge gaps, creation of ignorance by the government, and the need to function as the watchdog vis-a-vis the government. Nonetheless, many CRMOs tend to shy away from political activism. This brings us back to the theory of citizen science that pointed out the influence of neoliberalization. We should ask, what are the challenges to these CRMOs in terms of their politicization? There are several possible reasons. Of course, as a good social scientist or sociologist, we can draw on the research on social movements in sociology and think about constraints in in that established literature, such as the lack of resources, money and time, as well as political opportunities. But today, I want to consider this question in relation to the history of the concept of citizen or shimin in Japan. We need to situate CRMOs in a broader history of civil society in Japan. <coughs> As a historian of Japan, Simon Avniol discussed in his book, Making Japanese Citizens, the Japanese concept of citizen or shimin has a complicated history. The concept of citizen was imported from the West, understood to be a foundation for the democratic Japan, particularly after the end of the Pacific War. In the following decades, shimin meant autonomous individual outside of the state and the market, often linked to clear anti-establishment sentiment. However, the failures of the 60s and 70s radical movements had a decisive impact on the concept. Avnil identifies an important shift in the Shimin idea after that. Since the 1990s, Shimin came to connote nonprofit groups that work with the government and the private sector and provide social services in a constructive manner. Oppositional ethos is shunned as unproductive and too ideological. In the conscious criticism of protest and contestation in the 60s and 70s, the contemporary shimin is to keep distance from such radicalism. So what does this mean to citizen science? Citizen of citizen science operates under this enormous pressure to fit a specific understanding of citizen as moderate, collaborative, and practical. Such pressure not to radicalize also paradoxically comes from the resurgence of the radical left in anti-nuclear movement after March 11th. The radical left made anti-nuclear as one of the key platforms uh, in the post-March 11th. Good example here is the move by Chukakuha, an extreme left group that is known for its involvement in violent incidences such as the beating of members of other Marxist faction and arsons, etc. In particular, in August 2011, they established the National Council to Abolish All Nuclear Reactors Right Now, or orすべての原発今すぐなくそう全国会議へ, NAZEN for short, gearing up to focus on anti-nuclear issues. The Public Safety Commission, or COAN, also noticed their renewed activism in anti-nuclear issues. Its report in 2013 warned that both Chukakuha and Kakumaruha, another radical left group, or using anti-nuclear as strategies to mobilize and recruit new people. The ra- these radical left groups also seem to have taken interest in CRMOs as well. And their effort to link to CRMOs has had a troubling effects to the network of CRMOs. For instance, there was a CRMO in the northeastern part part of Japan that had a huge organizational struggle involving chukakuha. In 2013, the CRMO had to purge one of its key members, as she was suspected of being a chukakuha sympathizer. They had to make the move public and declared its non-affiliation with the radical groups. In July 2013, the CRMO had a general meeting and revised its bylaw. Tellingly, it affirmed nonviolence as its principle and added in the bylaw that, quote, the organization should maintain independence from any political, religious, or corporate organizations. We do not have any relationship with nazen or chukakuha, unquote. And a similar language is now you can find the similar sort of disclaimer in many websites of the CRMOs. Many key people in the CRMO network are highly concerned what they see as the infiltration efforts by the radical left to the CRMOs. They point out that any association with the radical left would put them on the Koan watch list, severe relationship with foundations, if any, and expose them to the internal politics within the radical left, which has a history of violence. So on the one hand, CRMOs are operating in the broader context of neoliberalization of civil society, pressured to be solution-oriented and non confrontational to remain legitimate, to be a good citizen. In addition, the move by the radical left to emphasize anti-nuclear issues makes the legitimacy of CRMOs even more tenuous, exacerbating the pressure to remain legitimate. Subject to these forces, the space for citizen, or shimin, is extremely limited in today's Japan. Who can be the citizen in citizen science? Actually, not many seems to be the answer. In the contemporary Japan, then, the performance of shimin, performance of citizen, is a task that takes a lot of maneuvering and delicate performing. This helps explain the proliferation of CRMOs in the aftermath of March 11th in a way. They resonate with the discourse of a citizen that shun politics. If you sort of think that CRMOs are to be the place for science, the technology, not for politics. CRMOs can also be constructed as self-help and service provision. And this was evident in many interviews. My interviewees often emphasize the technical aspects of what they were doing. Many interviewees said, we're just doing the measurement, like we're simply measuring, like (laughs) constructing the technical as the opposite of the political. Another important aspect of of the performance of citizen is the identity of parents as a strategic move. And this is particularly salient with mothers, I'm sorry, women talking as mothers. Women's involvement in the contamination issue is often constructed as maternal mother's activism. The book here, for example, is by Mothers Revolution Network, Okaasan Kakumen Network, and part of the book discusses mothers organizing CRMOs as a part of such mothers' revolution. In fact, it is not a coincidence that many CRMOs are organized by association of mothers in X city uh, or X ward and association to protect children. The kind of investment in the symbolizable mothers is related to its perceived authenticity and legitimacy. And obviously, this is not an isolated historical instance. There's a powerful history of women becoming active in nuclear movement in Japan and elsewhere. Many women around the world participated in anti-nuclear movement motivated by their maternal identity. The earlier waves of anti-nuclear movements in the 50s in Japan, for instance, was centered around the works by women who identified themselves as shufu and mother, shufu, I'm sorry, housewives and mothers who stood up to protect the health of children. Indeed, the major Japanese non-nuke groups, Gensuikyo, the Japan Council Against ANH Bombs, and its women's organization, Hahaoya Taikai, or Mother's (coughs) Congress, took up this discourse of maternalism. Haoya Taikai's motto has been, quote, mothers who create life want to nurture and protect life. Women's activism in nuclear issues has been authenticated in relation to their roles as mothers. As we saw, CRMOs are quite diverse. And during the interviews, people involved in CRMOs touched upon various identities that brought them to CRMOs. Identity as mothers was salient in many interviews, but many men talked about their identity as dads, right, who are concerned about the children. People talked about religious and professional commitment to protect the health uh, and the welfare of people. There were grandparents uh, and longtime activists as well. So the profile of CRMOs are quite actually diverse. And obviously, identity is never singular and always overlapping and layered. But maternal identity is often emphasized and emphasized over other identities. Some people involved in CRMOs are conscious of its strategic value. For instance, I was talking with a mother of two kids in her 40s in the west of Japan, and she, was act- she has been active in the food contamination <coughs> issues. She lobbied with another mother to her preschool uh, about changing the, the where they source the food for the school, uh, school lunch. Um, she has been also involved in a group of parents, mothers and fathers, opposing her prefecture's receipt of the disaster delivery. Looking back at her um, social actions she took after March 11th, she said that she knew and many other mothers knew that the identity of a mother uh, was a powerful tool. For instance, she said that when they went to rallies, quote, we'd say, let's put mothers in front rather than these middle-aged men like Oji-san in the protest line unquote. They were well aware that the media liked mothers and babies and they would make a good visual that, you know, the mothers would get much more sympathetic ears than maybe perhaps Oji-san. Astutely observing the value of mothers and lichen, she said, quote, We've been saying we're just regular mothers to criticize government policy. It's a disguise by us with karma. And then this was very difficult to uh, translate to to English, but what she said was Although she used a strong word, gisou or disguise, they were actually not disguising, right? So they are actually mothers. But what she was referring to, I think, was the performative aspect of citizen and how the ideal type citizen um, in today's Japan is very narrow and needs a lot of calibrating, and the maternal identity is one of few that is left and still remains legitimate. So I have discussed two strategies that corresponded to the narrow field of legitimate citizen. One is the emphasis of science doing, as science is conventionally understood to be um, neutral and objective, the opposite of politics. The second is the emphasis on mothers as the authentic voice of citizens, following the long tradition of maternalism in women's movements. This helps us understand conflicting answers in interviews that we saw earlier in regards to politics. CRMOs were motivated by politicized consciousness, but they don't want to seem politicized, but at the same time are doing various things that might be considered political. What this suggests to me is the need to reconsider the notion of politics away from conventional understanding that is focused on electoral system and organized foundations. Theories of new social movement uh, and risk of society, for instance, have all pointed out the shift in the nature of politics. And it seems to me that CRMOs are reflective of this larger trend. This literature suggests that the new political is informal rather than formal or electoral. It is regarding the distribution of risk rather than uh, less about distribution of wealth. The style of mobilization is dispersed and perhaps flat rather than hierarchical. The rather depoliticized self-representation of CRMOs is not that they don't do politics, but perhaps they don't do traditional politics in seeking different ways to do politics. CRMOs might have proliferated as they seem to have offered such non-conventional way of doing politics that is informal, flat, dispersed, and hopefully non-exhausting and sustainable, yurui and murinai. Okay, so i want to wrap up. So the data on CRMOs in Japan shows the contribution of CRMOs on multiple aspects. They have provided important information to citizens, particularly when it was not given by the government, or at least that's the perception by the many majority of the citizens. They also function as a watchdog for the official government monitoring system. In addition, they have provided some space for citizens to gather and discuss food contamination and nuclear issues. I started this presentation citing STS literature that critically examined whether the citizen science was depoliticized and domesticated under neoliberalism. The case of Japanese CRMOs suggests that the pressure to at least appear as such is real and powerful. I used the example of emphasis on technicality and maternal identity by CRMOs as an instance of performance of shimin or citizen. In the contemporary Japan, performance of citizen is very extremely tricky, and CRMOs carefully adjust and select their move to remain legitimate and authentic. Thank you very much.